Bikini Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Faith Walkers, thank you for joining us on the Awaka My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. But I get inspired more when I see a woman succeeding, but I know more about her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Aisha Francis. She is a purpose provocateur business strategist for professionals and entrepreneurs on the journey into purpose, helping to shape their vision, develop their leadership, release their innate ingenuity, and design audacious and agile solutions for their life and business. She is also the founder and executive director of Project Restore Phoebe, Families Impacted by Incarceration. Aisha has the gift of meshing life narratives, experiences, and purpose seamlessly with business strategy and structure. She's a seasoned professional with extensive experience across the corporate charitable, and chosen, aka entrepreneurial sectors. Please welcome to the show, Aisha Francis. Hello. (laughs) You're so chill. I love it. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. (laughs) No problem. Thank you for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. Yeah, for sure. Everything that I know about you is so chill and laid back and mellow. I don't know, I, I don't know what you would even look like if you were like, you know, angry or overly excited. I'm, <laughs> I'm <just> so chill. <laughs> and, you know, I, I completely resonate with you on so many different things from us being introverted to, you know, the work that we do. So um, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I love to start the show with an icebreaker question because I believe that as women, we have all these different titles that we go by, but a title that I feel is not given enough significance is our name because our names have meaning. And every time someone says your name, they're declaring that meaning to you. So I would love to know, do you know what your name means? I do. It is one of those things that in our home with my mom and my dad, we always knew the meanings of our names, they were picked very intentionally. So my name means life. Mm-hmm. My first name means life. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So every time someone says your name, they're just declaring that Aisha brings life. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so I love to start at the beginning before I get to where you are currently. And I believe because children have such vivid imaginations and before the world comes in and tries to limit you, I would love to know, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. 
um, mm. for like almost all of my life until I was probably about 15 or 16. And that kind of fell off due to various reasons. But I grew up in a home where my mom was a nurse. And so she had a lot of medical books. And I would literally, as a child, flip through these books before I could read. I would look at all the pictures. And then when I started to read, I would literally know this picture, what the disease was, what they did to treat it. And and so my entire life, I had been planning to be a plastic surgeon. I used to speak to my family doctor about it. And I had a whole plan. I had skipped a grade, so I was a bit ahead, but I knew that I would be in my early 30s by the time I finished med school, all the disciplines that I needed to go through, and I had, that was my plan. Wow. Okay. So how did you go from wanting to be in plastic surgery to what you do now? (laughs) Essentially, what happened was when I finished grade 10, I was doing well, fast tracking, still on plan had no other desire to do anything else. And then I had a bit of a breakdown. And I can look back now and I can see that that dark time of my life was actually probably an episode of depression. But back Mm -hmm. then we didn't really have that language, right? We didn't speak about these things. So I was sent to a school that was outside of the area that I grew up in. And so I used to have to take the bus. So literally what I started doing is I would get up in the morning, be like, bye, mom, see you later, and get on the bus, head to Kennedy Station, and ride the subway all day long from Kennedy to Kipling, back and forth all day long, and then come home and act like I had been in school. Um, Oh, wow. I know. Yeah. I know that that was the thing that kind of interrupted my studies, all of a sudden, I wasn't interested. I didn't have a desire to do anything like school and education and math and sciences were my thing. I just loved, loved, loved that stuff. And then all of a sudden, I didn't have a desire for any of it. And it was all of the childhood traumas and stuff coming up Mm -hmm. and me not knowing what to do with them. And so here I was, that piece happened. Um, I ended up getting pregnant shortly after that and having my first child at 17. And then that totally, like, I loved, loved, loved my baby, but like education, school, everything was really put on a back burner. And essentially I kind of dropped out of school. Mm -hmm. And then at some point I was like, girl, you better get back to school because you have a child now. And what are you going to do? Not have an education. And what do you, where are you going to work? Like, how are you going to provide for your child? So I went back to school, but my grades were just not the same. Like my focus was just not the same. And so I really felt like, I I guess I'm not going to be able to have this career. Like my marks are just not what they need to be. And I don't have the discipline that I had. And so what happened was in back in those days, and you may know this too, McKinney, we used to have um, <laughs> OAC, so mm-hmm. grade 13, Mm-hmm. And so here I am doing my grade 12, grade 13 courses, and I decide to take a law, a law course. And this teacher, and I can never remember his name, he was just like, he was almost like an angel out of nowhere. You know, those kind of things where mm-hmm. you're like, this person appeared in my life. I can't remember the details of him. I can see his face. I don't know anything else about him, but he was so significant to the path that I ended up on. So I take this law class. and. 
he called me by my, my name at the time, my last name, Miss Charles. So everybody else in the class is like, say what now? Like, he's not calling us by, you know, so formally and whatever. But he saw something in me and he drew it out of me. And so we started to, you know, we were doing law and I would do the quizzes and I would talk about jurisprudence and I would talk about all these law concepts. And they were very simple and easy for me. And we would have debates and I was like, you know, argumentative. And he was just like, whoa, like you really have something here. And so I really feel like he planted the seed for the the path of like justice and um, wanting to see people, you know, prosper and have equitable spaces and places and, you know, all of that Mm -hmm. stuff, right? It kind of planted that seed. And so I really think that's what it was. And years and years later, when I thought about it, I was like, you know, God, how did I go from medicine into sort of this justice sector that I currently work in. And what came to me was my reason for wanting to be a plastic surgeon was not about giving people, what do you call them? BB, BBM, BBL, you know, like, in, you know, enhancing mm-hmm. your bottom, your bottom and breast. And mm-hmm. like, that's not what I, I was about. People get into accidents. People have stuff happen to them. They have scars. They have, you know, physical disformities that happen from whatever the situation. I want to be a plastic surgeon to restore their livelihood. And this is the tool that I can use to do that for them. And so all it did was transfer the same root of why I want to do stuff is what I still do is about transforming people's lives, ensuring that they can live with a quote unquote sense of normalcy, whatever normal is, right? But, you know, with have a livelihood that is broadly embraced and accepted wherever they go. So different sectors, but the same purpose. Wow. There are so many points in there that I want to like go back into and touch on. So first, let's start with for, I'm going to say majority of our listeners are outside of Toronto and probably more than 50% are outside of Canada. So when you talked at the beginning about being in high school and having to take the train from Kennedy to Kipling, for those that are listening, like how many hours of a train ride or what's the kilometers would you say that is? Hmm, that's interesting. I don't exactly know, but I would think that that journey is probably an hour, hour and a half, I think, end to end somewhere in between there. Okay. So instead of going to school, you sat on the train back and forth for, you know, an hour, hour and a half each way going Mm -hmm. back and forth. Right. And then you touched on, you know, us not having that language back then. And I totally agree with you time that we came up, especially in the black community, um, speaking about depression and things like that. And you spoke about the childhood traumas coming up. And I know for a fact now that you know, as adults, a lot of us are just now dealing with the childhood traumas, the things that were not dealt with back then. And with all of the research and everything that we're learning, like we have to process these emotions, you know, when we suppress them, they come out somewhere, they show up in other areas of our lives. And because of all the research and things that have been done, we are now at a place where not only are we aware of the fe- effects of it, but having to now deal with it so that we can move on. And then you talked about the the teacher who was like, 
you know, this, this angel <laughs> that was a part mm-hmm. of the pivotal moment in your life and, and how he helped you. You went from wanting to be a plastic surgeon, helping people restore and have a better self image physically to now the work that you do in advocacy, basically helping restore and that self image and identity. Wow. Like there's, I forgot the name of the book. I think it's cyber cybernetics uh, by Dr. Maxwell Mulch, but um, he (laughs) talked about, so we have two images of ourselves and I I talk about this often, you know, with our self image, Mm -hmm. we have the image on the outside and we have the image on the inside and the, how we feel about ourselves on the inside usually shows up on the outside. So on the outside, you know, how we dress, how we walk, how we talk, but then on the inside is how we really feel about ourselves. And even when you were talking about the plastic surgery part, you know, there were people who may have had, you know, something that they were born with or something on the outside that affected their image, whether it be a mole or, you know, a nose job or something that made them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after surgery, how it affected how they acted after because of how Mm -hmm. it made them feel on the inside. So even though when you were younger, you wanted to be one thing, this is why I love to ask this question, because I love to either see the connection or the disconnect. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when you were younger and you wanted to do that of restoring self-image to what you do now, I'm just loving the correlation, but the story in how you were able to turn around, you know, what some would have called going against the odds in the beginning, you know, starting out... Mm -hmm you know, as as a mom at 17, going through depression, dealing with childhood traumas, you know, not interested in school to the impact that you make now in helping other people to restore their self-image. I just love it. Yeah. It's incredible because, you know, there are moments when you feel like such a failure. It's often based on external expectations that you you're trying to live up to, like either they're self-imposed, like I Mm -hmm. I feel like I should have this by this time and this by this time and that by this time or what other people are saying to you, right? So yeah, so it's incredible to see God, you know, Mm -hmm. say, oh, no, no, no. Like the purpose that I have for you is still the purpose I have for you. Um, And all of the things that you've been through in your life are only going to add to your your efficacy in, Mm -hmm. in delivering on that purpose, right? So it's really beautiful and it's it's a full circle where you feel redeemed. Like you really feel like all of the naysayers, all of the stuff that happened, um, you know, even as you were sort of recapping what I shared with you, I thought of, you know, the way that we deal with mental health today. And as a child, I went, I went to different, I don't know if it was programs or, you know, group counseling sessions because sexual abuse was, a part of my childhood story, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was a point where the courts were involved and there was a whole situation. Fortunately, it worked out that I didn't end up having to testify against someone, but because they ended up taking a deal or whatever happened, which was a saving grace for me. But through that process, I then had to go into these like group counseling sessions. And I remember, you know, being put in a taxi and having a taxi chit that was provided by whatever ministry was supporting this and going through these, you know, with other kids and learning about our body and what people aren't supposed to touch and, you know, like all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And then even as a 
a young teenager, you know, 13, 14, going to a couple of counselors, but none of them really being able to adequately address what was happening or serve it. And I don't know if it was a cultural thing again. I don't know if it was just we didn't have the breadth of knowledge and understanding, but it's just really interesting to see that even even in those moments where you didn't, where I didn't get what I needed, where people were like, you know, your family, you're the black sheep, or you, you're just, you just are not following the rules. Like, why can't you just Mm -hmm. follow the rules? Right. Um, I had my first child at 17 and by 29, I had six children. So, you know, I spent 12 years having a lot of children. And so it was always, I was always outside of the box of, what normal, you know, successful progression looks like. Mm-hmm. And so to see, to see God use my life anyway, to see God um, take my life and all that it has been, the good, the bad, the ugly, and say, um, you can still be beautiful and you can Amen. still show up for others in a beautiful way. You know, it, it's really special. Absolutely. I have goosebumps as you're saying that. Uh, Wow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everything has come full circle and you still are making such a huge, powerful impact in all that you do. So I want you to share, you know, what was the intention when you first began uh, Restore Phoebe, Families Impacted by Incarceration? Because I know that for a lot of people, when they start a thing, Sometimes the intention when you start, God's like, yeah, you know what? That was great, but this is what I <laughs> want you to do with that. So I, would, <laughs> so I would love to know what the intention was <laughs> when you first began. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's so funny. The intention. There wasn't any intention to start this. <laughs> that's kind of what's funny. I was busy in my corporate job. I was very um, happy. I was achieving a level of success that I was like, finally, uh, seven years with this particular company, a great company, and was being like sponsored to be promoted, something that I had been working for, for a very long time. And then literally went on a retreat. And this idea to start this organization comes to me. And I'm kind of like, uh, no, no, thank you. Because the real base for the organization is that my family was a family impacted by incarceration, right? And so we had our incarceration story through my husband's um, interactions with the system. That was for our entire time that we have been together. So it was something that we had been through as a family. And there were many things that I had done specifically for myself and my children and my husband to keep our family together, to protect our family, to protect my children, particularly from, you know, the shame, the isolation, and from actually following in those footsteps of like, Mm -hmm. you know, crime and gangs and so on and so forth. So privately, I was doing this work with my family. And so I go on this retreat and the retreat is really talking about what do you, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? And um, so we had an assignment to do and I thought I was actually going to create a system or to help people. It was like create a system that will help X amount of people. I thought I was going to do this youth program and outspills the blueprint for this organization. And so 
I go home with this blueprint and I literally can't sleep. I'm up at night. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, there's no other family that's going through this, which is a dumb thing to say because, but we do that, right? Like we're going Mm -hmm. through something difficult and we're like, I'm the only one. Nobody knows. I want to keep it hidden. So I start to um, do some research and I start to go on the internet and go, you know, how many families are impacted by incarceration? I start to get a lot of U.S. data and the U.S. is extreme, but we there were some pretty significant numbers for the impact on Canadians as well. And so therein begins the organization and I literally prayed and cried and was like, God, do I have to? Um, and if you guys don't know by now, I am a, a believer and my faith is rooted and I am as obedient as I can be, I will say, um, <laughs> to the leading of the Spirit. Uh, sometimes I'm not as obedient as I should be, but for the most part, when I feel God is compelling me to do something, I listen. So it was a bit of a fight, but after doing all of that, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And it really just started out as, you know, how can I share uh, my journey, some of the tools and things that I did with my own family, some of the resources, which weren't many that I was had access to or helping people to navigate, navigate stuff like going to work and how do you access your HR policies or your EAP, like different things like that. Like, so what information did I have about going through the court process or whatever? How can I bring that together and then just provide information and resources and support for people? That's really how it started. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, and it has evolved from there. Wow. So, you know, I, I love how you said the project that you started was like, what do you want your legacy to be? And, I love that question and I'm big on legacy because, you know, when my sister passed away, that was the pivotal moment for me in my life with, you know, what do I want my legacy to be? So it's, it's, you know, beautiful how you looked at your legacy and turned this into, you know, an advocacy to help your family and others. And then you talked about when you were going through it and feeling like you're alone. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dr. Brene Brown, but she... She has this quote that says, shame loves secrecy. And usually when we're feeling ashamed about a thing, and this is probably where or why I'm so open about sharing parts of my journey is because oftentimes we're going through a thing feeling very alone. But once you open up about it and you realize, oh, wait, I'm not alone. And you start to attract other people who can relate to your experience or, you know, who feel like you're telling their experience and then you don't feel so alone and that sense of community helps build your resilience muscle it helps you get through whatever it is that you're going through and (laughs) you spoke to when when god gave you that vision to start phoebe and you're like "Mm, do i have to like you were kind of fighting with god (laughs) (laughs) i'm like listen i am being promoted i have this fabulous corporate job an idea of what my life is going to look like in a year or two. What are you talking about? Leave? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so when you were telling your story internally, I was laughing because I recently interviewed a supermodel slash influencer. Her name's uh, Renee Bagwadine. And she 
basically was going through the same thing. She's very faith-based, but her journey in being a supermodel, you know, she's had, you know, she's been on America's Next Top Model. She's been, you know, Miss Trinidad. She's been all these things. But it was like, she feels like she's constantly fighting with God. And we joked about it because I'm like, girl, you know, you're not going to win, right? Like, you may as well just listen. (laughs) Like, God will whisper, we don't listen. Then he, you know, he talks a little bit louder, we don't listen. Then he yells, we don't listen. And then it becomes a fight. Like, who do you think is going to (laughs) win? Right? Exactly. (laughs) That's funny. That is funny. So, you know, you speak about, um, you know, being a believer. And I, I know that for a lot of women that I've interviewed, their faith plays a huge role in everything that they do. And I know, you know, you have a big heart for unconditional love. How do you feel that your beliefs of love and faith have affected your journey or impacted your journey? Yeah. So I have been ruminating on this idea of love and unconditional love. And it, it, it always comes back to that for me at least, right? Because mm-hmm. it's interesting as I look over my entire life, there, there's a lot of stuff that's happened to me that just wasn't right. And I have been able to really extend forgiveness and kindness to mm-hmm. the worst offenders in my life. And I never really understood why. At one point, I thought it was like weakness, like what you can't stand up to people, you can't be angry at people. And of course, there's another side of me that is like, you know, I will just cut you off and <laughs> not remember mm-hmm. that you exist, which, which is interesting, right? But as I've been thinking about this idea of like love and unconditional love, what really came to me the other day was that unconditional love is not love without conditions. It is that despite the conditions, we choose love. And so in everything that I do, I always try to choose love. Love in the sense of what is the intention of my heart? So even when, and this is a really easy example for all the moms out there, you know, even when I have to discipline my children and they're like, you are the meanest person I know. Like you are not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The intention in, in my heart is still rooted in love because the reason why I'm disciplining you is that I know this is good for you. It doesn't feel good right now. So it's not that love just, you know, people can do whatever they want to you. You don't have to put boundaries. You don't have to do any of those things, but it is this thing of I'm going to respond in love. You know, you always hear people say, I'm going to say this to you in love. I, I don't know that we do that well because we like to use words, but then we don't actually follow through. And I right. think for me, I've been very intentional in, and I hope this doesn't sound too like, you know, heighty tighty spiritual, because that's not what I'm trying to do, but like checking myself. You you would understand this, Makini, because Completely. you're an introvert as well. And we're so introspective that, you know what, something happens out there and maybe other people would be looking at the other person to figure out what they did. I totally go inside and go, okay. What did you do in this situation? What is your part in the situation? I'm right. always checking my heart around, did I respond the way I was supposed to respond? And I put myself in situations where I'm like correcting something where I'm not necessarily at fault, but it has to be from a place of love. Um, right. And because it's connected to my faith, the other piece of it is this. God loves me unconditionally. Why? Mm. 
I, I don't know, girl. I, I don't know. <laughs> but because he's God, he loves me unconditionally. And I had to ask myself, do you love God unconditionally, Aisha? Because I really had this thing where I was like, you know, and it, it's hard to say, but there's sometimes that, you know, you're kind of mad at God because I, I, I prayed and I did this and I tithed and I, I did all the right steps, God, and this didn't work out. Or I stood on your word and I thought I had faith and this didn't work out. And I had to check myself, like, do you love God unconditionally or do you also put conditions on him? And mm-hmm. then how does that translate into the way that I love myself? And when I, again, as an introvert, I, I know myself very well. Um, people will say to me sometimes, I know who you are. And I'm like, you don't even know who I am. You think <laughs> right? who I am. You think you know a version of who I am, but I know who I am. I know the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly. And I have gotten to a point where now at this stage of my life, in my 40 something plus years, um, that I actually love myself unconditionally. Like I can look at those really disgusting parts of myself and you know yeah you try to work on them and and other times I'm just I just accept that I I am who I am I'm not perfect and so I'm kind of speaking in circles but I hope this is making sense because I think in the work that I do what I try to do and what I have to do it's not even it's not even like you know I just want to I just want to try and do this because it's a nice thing to do you actually have to do this when you are working with people who are in the darkest places of their life when you are working with people who you know or or when you're working when you're doing this work that sometimes is like thankless work you know like you're showing up for people you're you're counseling people you're going to court with people you're showing up in certain around certain tables and Nobody really cares about bringing correction to the system, this incarceration system. So you're dealing with a lot. Of, you have to actually be in a place where you love people. Mm-hmm. When I started Project Restore Phoebe, I had gotten a mentor who was already in the sector. And he said to me, are you prepared for when you meet your first homeless person who has come out of jail and is needing your help and they want all they need is a hug today, but they haven't mm-hmm. bathed in three days. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to hug them? And I was like, whoa, yeah, like I had to think about that. But that's what love looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Love looks like is that I'm just extending compassion. I'm seeing past the exterior. I'm seeing you as a person. I am accepting you as a person. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to cancel you or not be there for you because you didn't speak nicely to me today. It's really hard to do. And I'm I'm not saying that I do this perfectly, but I feel like it's the place that I'm really wanting to get to because I know that for my family, my family is very close. Myself, my children, we're very close. And I know, McKinney, sometimes I don't like what my kids do, Mm -hmm. right? I don't like the way they respond to me, but there is nothing under the sun that they could ever do to cancel my love for them. And so how can that be something that is consistent in every area of my life? We are living in the darkest times that we as a globe are seeing, but even Mm -hmm. for the nation of Canada, I think we we're going through a pandemic. It's the COVID it's the racial stuff, but for Canada, we've been insulated from certain things, right? Like 
Right. You know, we, we, we haven't experienced this before. And so I think it's really interesting that as we go through and try to experience this, we can't just be hating everybody and, and you know, <laughs> always attacking one another. At some point, we have to get to a place where we choose to love people. You know what? I don't agree with your views. I may not even really like you, but I'm going to choose to love you because if we lead with love, then we choose to treat people with dignity. We choose yeah. to people with respect. We choose to pe- um, treat people with equity. We choose to do the right things. The moment that we go, because I don't like you, I'm going to treat you like you're less than, that's where we start to fall into problems. And societally, we, we, we set our society up for a bunch of garbage. And mm-hmm. then we go, oh, we don't know why this is happening. So a bit of a rant, a bit of the thing. Absolutely that I, not. Not a rant. And, um, <laughs> strategize about and think about in the work that I do and how I deliver the work that I do and how I show up, you know, around certain tables that I I get to, you know, be at to talk about justice and to talk about um, incarceration. And even in the work that I do with entrepreneurs, you know, it's about how do we do this thing? Like, it's one thing to have a product, have a service, have something that you can give to people, but you have to um, do it from a place of loving what you do and loving the people that you're called to do it for. Yep. It's, it's not what you do. It's how you do it. Absolutely. You know, you, I, I mean, you called it a rant, but I was completely following everything you were saying, you know, so you spoke a lot about Good. forgiveness and choosing love and leading with love. And mm-hmm. For those who are listening, because I know, and I've had conversations recently, there are people who have a hard time with forgiveness, you know, especially Mm -hmm. with people that have betrayed them or hurt them. So they're holding on to that hurt. But forgiveness is good for everyone. It's good for the giver and the receiver. And I had to learn, and I'm going to say probably about 10 years ago, where I had to learn that forgiveness when you are choosing to forgive somebody, it is not even necessarily about them or whether or not you get an apology yeah. from them. It's releasing that energy from you. And there are different levels of forgiveness. You know, there's, there's zero forgiveness where you, you know, there's no resolution and you're stuck in your anger. Mm-hmm. There's conditional forgiveness where, you know, you're like, well, if they apologize, then I'll forgive. And that's, you know, transactional. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's transformational forgiveness where there's no expectation, no apologies needed. And that's where I was 10 years ago, especially going through my mm-hmm. divorce and dealing with a lot of those things where it's like, whether or not you ever apologize to me, I forgive you. I choose Absolutely. to forgive you. I choose love in this moment. And then you spoke okay. about our children and there's that level of unconditional forgiveness, you know, the how mm-hmm. parents are with their kids, because most times your kids can do the absolute most, but you forgive them. They can do the absolute most, but you love them anyway, that unconditional love. Um, And then even when you went uh, into speaking about self-checking, you know, (laughs) you said you didn't want to come across a certain way, but I fully, and this is why I say I fully get you, I fully understand and we resonate, is I fully understand that because I am the same with that as well, where there is a lot of self-checking, especially someone who is introverted and and an empath. And I know you are as well. So we, we go inwards a lot where someone else may look at a situation and figure out how to blame and how to, you know, do all of those things where we will look inwards and try to understand ourselves and our actions and our contribution. Because at the end of the day, 
the only person that we have control over is ourselves. We have no control over anybody else, even our children. You can give them guidance, but you can't control them. So for people to understand that the only person we have control over is ourselves, and even that is a challenge. Like there are many Mm -hmm. of us that cannot control ourselves, right? (laughs) So how can you be upset with someone else for their actions? Like forgiveness, give, you know, give some grace. Um, And ultimately, you know, when I look at my entire life, all that I have needed in my entire life is love from from my parents, from, you know, whomever. And so, you know, I, I can't explain other people's situations or why they act the way that they do. But maybe today, me smiling and saying good morning to you as an act of love is going to transform your day. Right. Right. Absolutely. And you showing that love and being an example of what love looks like to someone, that could be the first time that they've ever seen that or experienced that. Like, not to get too into detail, but there was a few years ago, I was dating someone who cheated on me and Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't continue the relationship or take him back, but I forgave him. I was able to give him a hug and say, I forgive (laughs) you shortly after finding out about it because knowing his history of childhood trauma and abuse that he dealt with, I'm not excusing his behavior whatsoever, but my forgiveness to him may have been the only time he's ever experienced forgiveness or love of that level. You know, I don't, I don't need to stay connected to him, but I do forgive him. I can move on from that. Do you know what I mean? It's, I chose love in that moment. I chose forgiveness in that moment. And when you were speaking about the compassion, you know, when your mentor asked you, are you able to hug a homeless person? I'm at, and I don't, I don't even want to make this about me, but it's like, I've done, so many things where we've gone out into the community and uh, had days where we spent, you know, either downtown Toronto or other areas. And I've done this in, in like Washington and other places where we spend the day giving to the homeless, whether it be serving them, whether it be, you know, giving them items that they, they need. But we've been out there and just had conversation with them because sometimes they're on the street and people treat them so poorly because they're homeless or because they're, they, you know, seem unclean or what have you and Mm -hmm. act like they don't exist and they look past them, but they just want to be seen, heard and understood. And they appreciate just something as simple as a conversation with someone else. And we've been in many situations where they've been so grateful when they can't help themselves. They hug you, they kiss you yeah, on the cheek. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's, it's loving from a place of compassion. It is. And I think sometimes we confuse the idea of extending love to people as they need to be in our inner circle. We got to be mm-hmm. friends with them. We've got to hang out with them and make time for them. No, that's not what it means. Mm-hmm. It just means that you're always coming from a place of, um, compassion, kindness, mm-hmm. I see you, dignity, respect. Um, you know, I, I understand that you're on a journey too. And I, I understand that I may not know all that has been going on in your journey in the past or now. And so I'm not going to judge mm-hmm. everything that you're doing in this moment in, in the way that I would if I didn't have on a lens of love. Right. right. So that's right. really what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm interested, I'm going to say I'm interesting like that because 
I am one of those people who I would rather feed a homeless person, buy them a meal, even if it's my last Mm -hmm. $20. I would rather do that for someone who could never repay me than give that $20 Mm -hmm. to someone in my family who is going to go and waste it on something or be ungrateful for that. There's so many people in this world that need love, that need forgiveness, that need compassion. And I love that you choose love. You choose forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You choose to lead with love. Yeah. So tell us one thing most people don't know about Aisha. Ooh, one thing. <laughs> um, there's a whole lot that y'all don't know and you're not gonna. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, I, I think I, I've spoken to it here, but I am a, I, I'm a very deep thinker. I, I, I love to research but research for me is not necessarily um, taking in a lot of ideas. So there was one point in my life where I literally, all, all I read was the Bible. And people, mm-hmm. and it's weird because, you know, I made a decision that, you know what, I, I would like to gain an understanding of things from my own point of view, right? I think that right. other people sharing stuff with you is important, but then, you know, sometimes you get lost, like, what's my own opinion? So I really love to sit and think about things deeply and I will take out pads I, I go to the dollar store and buy like um, books that you would uh, sketch in you know like sketching artist books and I draw mm-hmm. uh, I don't draw I'm not an artist that's my sisters I'll leave that to them but I will like sketch diagrams and just write random ideas down and then literally like expand on them or develop them and that to me is like I, it's what I just love mm-hmm. <laughs> love to do so I I find that I have a I have an inner circle of course then I have a lot of people that I consider good friends but really I am your classic loner my my best place in life is you know usually when I'm alone just doodling thinking doing that kind of stuff yeah mm-hmm. I love it I love it <laughs> when you said that you know you love you love to research and you said there was a point in your life where all you read was the Bible. And yeah. well, you said that in, in past tense. So I don't know if that's something that you still do, but I love hearing when someone is able to be open to mm-hmm. different ideas and doing their own research to discover their own truth. Because as we know, like ignorance is lack of knowledge. And Absolutely. I've, what I have found is I am now at this age, a lot more open to hearing other ideas, other beliefs, Mm -hmm. because I believe like, for example, you know, if we only hung around other black women, we would only have the perspective of other (laughs) black women. So I am very diverse in my circle of women that I hang around. You know, if we only uh, read faith-based books, then what, what do we know about the world? And, you know, I have friends and people that I know from all different, you know, I'm going to say all different religions, although I am, Mm -hmm. I'm a little anti-religion. I am strong belief in God, strong relationship with God, but I believe that religion divides. But hearing other people's perspectives so that you can do your own research, so that you can find Mm -hmm. your own knowledge, because there are so many people that are so rigid in their Mm -hmm. belief because they're not 
open to expanding their knowledge. They're not open to the possibility of something different. And one thing could be my belief, but if you are able to come to me and through research and knowledge to show me otherwise, then mm-hmm. I'm not going to stay ignorant in my belief of a thing. Do you know what I mean? So I love that Absolutely. you are able to do your own research and spend time figuring things out and digging deeper. Absolutely. And I think I, I think everything that you said is so true, Makini. I think at that point in my life, it was something specific, but it was more so for me to root myself in my own belief system. Because mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we don't spend enough time doing is figuring out who we are and what we believe and what we think. And so right. I agree that we absolutely need to go out there and listen to other people. One of my favorite things is documentaries. Like I love a documentary. I'm fascinated with people's lives and how they, you know, their stories and their journeys. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that I will watch ad nauseum. My kids are like, honestly, it's like, you know, YouTube. It's like you can just get on this rabbit trail of this person and this person and this person speaking and, you know, all different backgrounds, secular, Christian, like whatever it is, because it's so insightful, right? These mm-hmm. different trains of thought and how people, but you need to also take the time to be able to, as you're taking in that information, you're not trying to assimilate to be that person. Right. You know, you're trying to use knowledge, glean ideas or tips or resources or insight that you can then use to become the best version of yourself. Right. Right. And so that for me, I think is the way I I approach it, but I'm like you too. I have so many beautiful, like there's friends that I have that I'm like, girl, I don't know how you showed up in my life. I don't know how our circles connected. (laughs) I'm so grateful Mm -hmm. that you are someone that I call friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend who is my old, one of my oldest friends from high school. We've known each other over 30 years and um, she's Muslim. And the conversations that we have about God and faith, and she's one of the people that I call almost immediately when anything happens in my life, because she's just, she's just so beautiful. Her heart, her spirit, the wealth yep. of information she has, that she's someone that I can trust with my life. And she's someone who has spoken into my life in many, many deep ways. And so I agree with you. There's, we come from a background that kind of can sometimes be very limiting in, you know, what we want to take in and what it's going Mm -hmm. to do to us and how it's going to, um, whatever, you know, (laughs) how demonic it is, you know, like these things Mm -hmm. that we, we found up hearing, oh, that's demonic. I was like that with my kids to a degree. Like we laugh about it sometimes too, because there were certain shows and stuff that at one point I'd be like, and now they're like, who are you? Like, you're watching. And I'm like, yeah, because, you know, I can filter now. Like, you know, right. stuff it doesn't have to come in and attack me. And I have nightmares at night and different things. I, I'm more mature in the way that I approach life and how I can take things in and feed and nourish myself mm-hmm. on all levels. Mm-hmm. So with everything that you've experienced and with everything that you do, how do you take care of you? What does your self-care routine look like? Oh, yeah. I I pray. I meditate. I I think very deeply. I often go down to the lake. Water for me is incredible. Mm -hmm. So it's either I literally will walk to the lake because I'm close enough to do that or sometimes jump in my car and just sit and look at the water. And water for me also is like sometimes I will just be like, I'm just going to jump in the shower and the kids are like, what? I'll be like, yeah. And so because the steam, the heat, 
it just is so relaxing. I often shower without lights on in my in my house. Um, mm. It's something that um, I got as a tip. I was watching something actually it was something about um, embracing your sexuality and this girl was like I shower in the dark and I was like shower in the dark like how um, <laughs> but literally I was like I'm gonna try it because she said like when there's no visual you're kind of like in tune with your body and so on and so forth so I tried it and it's phenomenal with the heat sometimes I'll bring a candle in there so no lights just the candle and I literally let the water course down my back and through my hair and for me that's what I do for self-care I will take myself away um, I've done it more recently when I went through a very challenging uh, situation a few months ago my kids are older now so I literally was like okay guys I'm going to take some time I'm going to go away for a week and I went to Niagara Falls rented an Airbnb took some books and didn't read as much as I thought I would but literally <laughs> walked the falls cooked some really good food for myself and just sat and enjoyed myself, right? So mm -hmm. for me, self-care always looks like reconnecting with myself, realigning with myself, and the ways that I do that are in the ways that I just shared with you. I love all that encompasses your self-care routine. I'm like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like grounding, you know, when they talk about having your bare feet, touching the earth, whether it's grass mm -hmm. or sand, and, you know, touching nature and minerals and things like that. But I find for me with the water, cause you talked about how, you know, it relaxes you and how it makes you feel. And I can completely resonate because I'm the same mm -hmm. and I can be in a really bad mood and go in the shower and just having the water run on me. It, that's, that's nature. That's the earth. So you're, you're grounding, you're reconnecting. Right. And the fact that you take the time to go away and as an introvert, we need that alone time to reset, <laughs> but you, you having that, that stillness, you know, just to be by yourself, to, you know, walk uh -huh. alone and make meals that you enjoy and to do those things. Like I love your self-care routine. Thank you. You're welcome. So tell the people before we go to the final segment of the show where they can stay connected with you online. Yes. So I am on Instagram. I think that's probably the best place because I, I don't do my Facebook as, as heavily as that, but Instagram, mm -hmm. I have audaciously Aisha is my purpose provocator type side of my life. And then I have restore Phoebe as R E S T O R E F I B I as the work that I do in the justice sector. So those are probably the best places to stay connected. And then if I really like you and we become closer, you will then possibly be added to my private <laughs> but for now those are the places <laughs> I love it <laughs> so I will have uh, in the details section of your episode where they can click and connect with you on audaciously Asia and the restore Phoebe pages and your website so they don't have to search and too website. far yes. Yes. yes thank you so much no problem no problem so the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And I just ask a couple of reflection questions and you share the first thing that comes to mind. So you can keep it to either one word or one sentence. Okay. All right. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Make the Impossible Possible by Bill Strickland. Hmm. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Oh, wow. It would say, be you unapologetically and because that's what we should all aspire to when when we die we should 
die having a sense of n- having known who we were and living have, and having lived that out fully. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you wish women would do more of? Oh, oh, a lot of things. But I, <laughs> I wish women would be more honest about what they want and need. This is something that I'm walking through, but, you know, we do a lot of stuff that are that we think we want and need, but it's really beneficial for other people and mm-hmm. not ourselves. So I, I, I really wish that we as women would take more time to love and serve and care for ourselves the way we do for others. Love it. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? Mm, This is a good one. These are good (laughs) questions. That I can be friends and good friends and get input from people that don't necessarily believe what I believe. So Mm -hmm. I can learn and glean and grow from other people outside of my faith belief. I love that. Okay. Last but not least... What impact do you want to have on the world? Love. I want people to know they are loved, to feel and be loved so that they can then extend love. Love. I love it. And on that note, Aisha, I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. I want to thank you for being so open and transparent about your journey and for leaving us with so many gems. I truly appreciate you. Thank you, Makini. It was, it has been a pleasure. It has been an absolute pleasure. And to all of you faith walkers out there until next time, subscribe on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple podcast. And you can join the community of faith walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at a and be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online. And if you could think of one person that would receive value from today's show, please share it with them. Be sure to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag Aisha at Audaciously Aisha. You can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. <laughs>